Welcome to Bridges 2030 Visions with me, James Taylor. In this series, we ask experts and thought leaders from around the globe, how do we build a more sustainable and inclusive world in this decade and beyond? For this episode, we're joined by Kevin Tan of Trisector Associates to talk about pay for success or outcomes partnerships as we call them. What we're trying to do is basically even the playing field a bit for these new ideas, create a bit of a marketplace of ideas for innovation and allow the best ideas to get taken up and incentivize that. If we are going to take scale, we can't rely on trying to lobby government to sort of carve out just a small part of its spending. We've got to find a way to say, okay, in many of your existing areas, how do we meet you where you are and, and improve it? Now, this is a topic that's very close to Bridges Hearts. We've done about 60 projects of this kind, mainly here in the UK. And it's always been our conviction that this model offers a potentially transformative new way of tackling some of our most complex social and environmental issues by bringing together governments, philanthropy, the private sector and the social sector in a more collaborative and data-driven way. However, it's fair to say that globally this idea hasn't quite taken off at scale in the way that some people hoped. And part of the reason for that is that the outcomes-based contracting model doesn't always fit well with government's traditional procurement and budgeting processes. Kevin's company Trisector is based in Singapore, where it works with various East Asian governments to try and solve this product market fit problem, as Kevin calls it. And they've got some really interesting ideas about how the model can potentially be tweaked in order to achieve much broader adoption, which could potentially unlock billions of extra dollars to tackle some of these really complex challenges. You know, I think across East Asia especially, for the last 50 years or so, uh, it's been one of the most astonishing development stories uh, globally, where hundreds of millions of people have been led out of poverty by, I think, very competent government. But I think as we look at the next 50 years and problems become really uh, complex and no government, no matter how, how far-sighted, can possibly have the answer, the question is how do you then evolve the rest of society towards in solving these complex social issues. There is a group in the US called the Coalition for Evidence-Based Policy. They, they looked around at medicine, business, and social sector. And they discovered that most of the time, many of the things we think might work, don't work. For every 10 programs that start the clinical trial process in the medical world, uh, only one program or drug actually gets approved. In the business space, uh, there's been this whole push towards A-B testing and so on. And likewise, companies like Microsoft, Google, they, they discover that uh, seven to nine times out of 10, their guesses about which marketing campaign might work are actually wrong. So it's a, it's a low success rate. So really, the social sector is just exactly like everything else. Uh, you know, it turns out that many of the intuitively sound things actually uh, are not so sound when, when uh, applied in practice. So, so I think if the, if the fact of the matter is that, you know, many times our guesses are going to be wrong, then the question is, how do we set up systems that pick out the right ones? And, and whose role is it to play, uh, to, do, to do what in such a system? 
So we got into this whole payment for success space because we thought it was a nice microcosm of what everyone's role should be. In the pay for success project, or the social outcomes contract, as I think you call it in the UK now, the government is the one that is setting the bar for what right is and is sort of serving as the long-term funder of, of the successful programs. But then philanthropy and the private sector are then playing the sort of the guessing and optimizing role to try to make sure that they achieve this, uh, this, this is really hard thing to get the one in 10 that is going to be successful. And in some contexts, like in the Asian context, it's actually quite difficult for government to say that they failed because actually the social contract is such that government is supposed to be you know, infallible or the best and brightest, right? So it's very hard for them to, to fail. So we're essentially letting them fail by having the private sector and, so, and social sector innovate around, around that kind of risk. Uh, and so, what are what are some of the solutions and models that you're you're trying at a tri sector to um, to try and tap some of these challenges? How are you, how are you bringing these groups together? There's always been certain questions that people asked about pay for success in the US that were amplified when I came back to Asia. The question was, why if this is about raising money, why should we do it? Because there are we either have the money or there are easier ways to raise the money than doing this pretty complicated search of structure. So as a result, we've then modified the, the value proposition of paid success to be more easy for these different organizations to, to take up. And we've done so in two ways. The first way is what we call the social impact guarantee. Uh, and the second way is what we call the outcomes amplifier. So I think of it as, you know, a social impact bond or a pay for success project, traditional one, is a combination of an insurance plan and a layaway plan sold as one. And what we're seeing in Asia is that people say, I, I like the insurance plan because, you know, taxpayer risk and so on. I don't need the layaway plan because actually we've got money and we can, or, or we can raise it. So the social, in the social impact guarantee, what we do is we say to government, Okay, why don't you fund things as per, as you would, and you know, so that makes it very easy for you to implement. You know, nothing special required. But if it doesn't work, uh, we'll actually give you back your money uh, to try again. So there is likewise still that same set of, of incentives. Uh, the only difference is uh, first, it mechanically becomes easier for people to fund because uh, the government doesn't need to do anything special, and philosophically it makes more sense in terms of their, uh, in terms of why they do it. From the private side, the value proposition is that uh, oftentimes in the impact bond structure, for example, the investors need to put in the money and so their money gets locked up. But in this case, actually, they could get, uh, they would make their money work harder in two extra ways. First is their same dollar could guarantee multiple projects, like an insurance company. And also like an insurance company, they could grow their dollar at the back end so that if the guarantee ever gets called, by then maybe they have $2. So this is especially attractive to organizations with an endowment or a family office. And is it your hope that insurance companies will ultimately be able to play a role in providing that sort of insurance product at the end and bring that sort of sophistication that they have about managing and assessing risk? Yeah, absolutely. You know, to And here's why. I think every social impact bond, every social outcomes contract combined to be uh, something like half a billion dollars, if I'm not wrong. And the cat bond market, catastrophe bond market, which is a form of insurance-linked security to do with underwriting climate 
risk. Uh, that's a $50 billion company, right? So is there a way for us to crowd in the whole insurance-linked securities, insurance company side of the equation to the space and thereby increase its scale by 100 times? I, I think that that's sort of the dream if we can do that. Okay, and, and so what about this outcomes amplifier model? If you think about it, actually, when you interview the participants of a traditional social tech bond, if you ask them, the investors, are you doing this to make money? Almost all of them would say, actually, no, this is not really a commercial thing. Then you ask them, would you take your money? Would you rather have your money back or have the government fund the program forever? Actually, they'd probably say, I'd rather have the government fund the program forever because it's a philanthropic thing. And then if you ask the government, would it be easier for you to scale up the program upon success or commit to paying back private investors? They would say, hey, I, I'd much rather do the first, right? It's, I'm used to scaling up programs. So what we're trying to do is basically even the playing field a bit for these new ideas, create a bit of a marketplace of ideas of, for innovation and allow the best ideas to get taken up and, and incentivize that. So one analogy I'd use in the adjacent space is the COVAX vaccine, the COVAX initiative for, for developing COVID vaccines, where governments around the world created what's called an advanced market commitment to say, if you can develop a COVID vaccine that will deliver some outcomes, I'd be willing to pay for, for it in the future. And that incentivized all the private companies to develop the vaccine. In most countries, if you draw a bar chart, of government spending versus philanthropic spending. And maybe I dare say even include impact investing spending to that. The ratio is usually something between 1 to 20 to 1 to 40. So we got to find a way to free up our innovation capital, which is philanthropy and impact investing capital, and exit to, to government. So that's part of the outcomes of the trend. When you talk to governments, do you get the sense that they're open to these kind of new ways of working? Uh, yes, I do think so. There have been different pushes around the world. Of course, you know, austerity or the, the budget crises caused by COVID, the aging population. I think the, the whole need to do more with less or more of the same, I think, is, is starting to come, come in. But I think the, the, the people have gone from the why now to the how. And I think a lot of our work now is trying to show why this how is better than maybe the other forms of traditional hows, which would be, for example, a public consultation, uh, maybe an in-house focus group. Um, but I think the, the challenge in Asia, which I think is, is actually a good challenge, is governments asking us, what really is the value proposition of the private sector if they're paying them a plus? So, so I think it's pushing us to up our game on terms of capacity building. And I think that's something actually that Bridges does very well in the UK. You're listening to Bridges 2030 Visions, a series about how we accelerate progress towards a more sustainable and inclusive world over the next decade. If you look back at some of the early predictions about how the social impact bond market would, would flourish, do you think it's fair to say that it hasn't quite achieved those heights? And, and if so, why not? Well, I, I think that it's two things. First, actually, I, I ask whether or not everybody 
needed it to scale to accomplish their theory of change. Uh, I think that some people in the space, some organizations in the space, saw payment for success as a means, but not yet. So for example, you know, my old organization in the US, Third Sector Capital Partners, uh, you know, their, their goal was essentially wide-scale government procurement reform at the time. So um, I think pay for success in that case was, was very successful, actually, because what it did was it showed government what could be done. On the other hand, I think if your goal was capital mobilization from the private sector, I think, yes, it's certainly not scale. And I, I think the reason for that is because the, it's just product market fit. So, so I think it's, it's all about trying to meet the end outcomes payers really where, where they are. And, and that's what we've been trying to do with the different models we've adapted out here. To what extent do you think we should be lobbying government to change regulations, laws, incentives to make this work better? Actually, I think my broader view is that actually we, sh- we should try to meet the government where it is on its procurement system. Uh, so the things on the margins that I think should change are things like um, aligning tax incentives around traditional philanthropy and the sort of impact investment. But fundamentally, you know, I think if we are going to take scale, we can't rely on trying to lobby government to sort of carve out just a small part of its spending to, to do this kind of work. We've got to find a way to say, okay, in many of your existing areas, how do we meet you where you are and, and improve it? So I think just really trying to understand in each case, what exactly is the procurement issue? And from there, working backwards to how do we kind of design a product around that? I think that may be, that may be better. And what's the upside potential here? If you, if you fast forward five years, uh, what could this look like? How important a part of the ecosystem could it be? It could be huge because I think that there are many variations of this core principle around payment for success that could be scaled. Few examples. Um, one would be trying to take this whole idea around uh, carbon credits, which are now being extended to its biodiversity credits, into social impact credits, right? I think that's a natural mix extension. So the world is moving towards the core intuition of the, the outcome space models of trying to price and externalities. And so I think five, fast forward five years, you can imagine a world where uh, actually we are. Uh, we have a whole marketplace of these outcomes credits then, and we could do all kinds of investment products related to that. And just lastly, the question we ask everyone, how optimistic do you feel about the prospects of making all this happen? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I'm very optimistic about this space. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm voting with my feet in a way <laughs> during this, this work. Certainly because I think that the trends are converging. You know, government is open to new ways of working. Uh, the investment community, I think, is, is, trying, is steadily moving more and more towards deep impact, uh, deep impact instruments. And actually, this is one of them. And I think nonprofits themselves are adopting more and more business sort of lens to things. So I do think that the, the fundamentals are there. Uh, can we solve the mechanical issues? I think the answer is yes, so long as we are open-minded and are willing to keep innovating along along the the uh, along the product lines. I think that it would be a mistake to see this as 
purely an education issue where we've got the right product and government just needs to be taught more about why outcomes are great. I think we really got to go back to the drawing board a bit and, and think, just like in many startups' lives, what were we trying to achieve and what, how do we design things now mechanically to achieve that? You've been listening to Bridges 2030 Visions with me, James Taylor. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, why not like, subscribe, share, download extra episodes, or even leave us a nice five-star review somewhere. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.